Welcome to everybody. And it's good to see new faces and old faces and even Steve's. We're continuing in the book of Ephesians. And if you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 4, we'll be reading the passage that Isaac um, quoted during the singing this morning. We'll be having another look at it and saying a few things about it. I want to read the first six verses to start with, like Isaac did, and then have a few comments. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavouring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in you all. We've reached halfway in the book of Ephesians, so the first three chapters were the doctrinal chapters, if you like, the teachings about what God has done for us. The next three will be the practical application. Because of what God's done for us, what should our response be? because of who we are now, as opposed to what we were or who we were, Paul is now going to make an application. And so this is the transition point. If, I don't know what Paul's thinking was at that time, but if you were to look at the book of Ephesians and wanted to sum the whole book up in four words, I wonder what you would come up with. We've had three chapters telling us, what we were but what God has made for us and made of us and now he's going to tell us how we need to respond. My four words would be with privilege comes responsibility and in these next three chapters Paul is going to teach us about our responsibility And the key word that he uses through these chapters is walk. How we walk. How we live our daily lives. How we respond to daily situations because of who we are. Unfortunately, I think it's too easy for us just to blend back into society. We become Christians, but it's easy to just blend back in and become like everybody else around us. But here are the words of Paul. I therefore, and you've heard me say this before, if there's a therefore, it's there for a reason. It's the transition, and now Paul is saying, I'm a prisoner of of Jesus Christ, I'm a prisoner for Jesus Christ, he could say. I therefore beseech you, urge you. Paul is saying it's more than just a casual approach. I urge you or I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another, endeavouring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 
Walk. Walk deliberately. So what has Paul said we've come out of and why do we need to to be like this? We were lost but now we're redeemed in Christ. We were dead in sin but we're at peace with God through Jesus Christ. We were strangers and aliens but now we are citizens of the household of God. We are fellow heirs and partakers of Christ's promises. These are the things that he has outlined in the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians. And then he says, now I urge you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Now I've heard a lot of people use this this idea of, I believe God called me for this or God called me for that. And I think if they're using this passage of scripture to say that God called me to to go to Africa or God called me to be this kind of person or to do this particular job, I think that's taking this out of context. The call that we're talking about here, the call that Paul is talking about and says, I want you to walk worthy of the call, is the call to be Christ-like. The call to become like Christ. As Steve's favourite song says, I've been crucified with Christ, therefore it's not I, but Christ lives in me. And Paul is urging us then to, to live up to that call. He said, live worthy of that call that we have in Christ Jesus. And so through these next three chapters, Paul is going to use the term walk in various ways, looking at all aspects of our relationships in Christ, but our relationships in our daily living, family relationships, work relationships, husband and wife relationships, walking in the world but being different to the world. Paul is going to emphasise all of these different ideas as we go through and I won't be covering those, I'll be only covering some of them. I mean, I'm only covering the first part here, to work worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness. And again, we've got the idea in here of the, the unity of the spirit and <clears throat> we hear the idea, well, we've got to have some sort of unity so we better work on a program that brings about unity. Can I say to you that God has already laid down the plan for unity? In fact, God created unity. God is unity. And that's why he goes on to emphasise the ones, the one God, the one Lord, the one Spirit. We are one because God has made us one in Christ Jesus. Our challenge is not to come up with an idea of unity, but what does he say? We are to endeavour to keep the unity of the Spirit. The unity of the Spirit's already there. That's the foundation that Christ laid and accomplished by his dying on the cross and then went back to the Father 
so that the church could be established and then continue to grow throughout time. So we're not called to come up... And how many times have we... Well, there's been an ecumenical movement to bring about unity between religious organisations to come up with some sort of plan or principles that we can agree on to simply be united in disagreement. That's not what this is talking about. We need to be united on the platform that God has laid through his son, Jesus Christ. And if we follow that plan, there will be unity. And the problem is, people get in the road of God's plan. Look at the principles or the the ideas that he uses here. He says, walk walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness, gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavouring to keep the unity of the spirit. I want to just look at these four words or uh, ideas here. Uh, We know that in in Galatians, Paul talks about the the, uh, fruit of the spirit and he's used some of these terms here. These are the the basic principles, the basic ideas that we need to follow in our everyday relationships, but particularly in the body. Lowliness or humility. Regard others more important than yourself. And you know, more often than not, when there's disputes and we can't agree on things, it's because somebody usually is very opinionated, wants to have their own way, thinks their ideas are better than anybody else's and won't budge because they are going to get their way regardless. Is that what Paul says is what we need to keep the unity of the spirit? Regard others more important than yourself. Gentleness or meekness, that's not weakness. That's being under control, mild-spirited, self-controlled. As one writer said, it's a balance between being too angry and not being angry enough at the right time. There are times when we ought to be angry at people's attitude toward God and Jesus Christ and the church and the principles that we need to stand for but we need to go about it in the right way at the right time. Long-suffering or long-tempered means a resolved patience and refers to the ability to endure discomfort without fighting back. Be patient with all men, Paul said. As much as is within you, live peaceably with all men. Forbearance the ability to handle the faults and failures of others and refusing to avenge wrongs is extended out of a heart of love. And what did Paul say love is like in 1 Corinthians 13? Love never fails. Love doesn't puff itself up. Love doesn't brag. Love never fails. But I like, I saw an illustration, the idea of forbearance. You've all seen 
the grown dog and the little pup. And the little pup comes out and nips the tail and bites the ear and jumps all over the big dog and and the big dog just sits there. Might even lift a leg and put it on the little pup. But doesn't bite back. I mean, we know you've got a great big dog with a mouth that big and a little tiny pup that long. The dog could open his mouth and in one gulp the, the pup's gone. But the forbearance of the mature dog is the idea that Paul is talking about here. We need to have that controlled attitude, that humble attitude toward living for Christ. And if we do that, we can keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So God has laid the platform for unity. We are a new community. We're the church community. We're a community within the community. And we have responsibility. You all come from a household. Do you not have some sort of rules and regulations within the house, what's expected in the house, especially parents and children? Do we not have regulations for our children to follow? We don't expect our kids to tell us to go and jump in the river and we're not going to uh, abide by the rules and regulations. We want them to comply because that's a responsibility. We're in the household of God and God calls us to uphold responsibilities in our everyday life. Endeavouring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And then he goes on to list all of these one aspects of the unity that starts with God. All of this is about God, it's not about me. And if I'm going to keep the unity of the spirit, I've got to forget me. Put God first, others next and me last. That's the order of priority if I am going to follow the instructions of Paul. We are a new community. We do have responsibilities. And Paul says, take it seriously. Our walk is not accidental or occasional. Paul says our walk is intentional and Warren used to use that word all the time, intentionality. Everything we do as a Christian should be with intention to honour and to please God and to build each other up, not I'll get my way regardless and I'll walk over whoever I have to to get what I want and where I want to go. go. There is one body and one spirit just as you were called in one one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Can't you can't you hear the unity in that those few verses? The oneness. God is over all. God is in everything. God is in us. And when we push God out because we want to do our own thing we're losing the unity of the spirit. 
There is only one body. I mean, how many times are we here over and over again? You know, there are all sorts of religions and they all go to the same place in the end. All heading to heaven. Doesn't matter what you believe, what you teach, what you practice. We're all going to get to the same destination in the end. And Paul says, but there is only one body that's the right body. There's only one direction that we can go if we want to uphold the unity of the spirit and that is to be doing what God wants us to do, not, well, this is what I want and I don't care what other people think. One body and one spirit who is working in us. One hope. Again, society says, well, you can just be a good person and you can do whatever you want as long as you're being a good person and you're going to make it to heaven. Paul said there is only one hope and Jesus is the source of that hope. We can't change that. We can't meddle with God's platform. We can't meddle with God's plan. There's only one faith. Now there's a little bit of debate about whether this means the faith that we have in Jesus or the faith that Jesus has introduced I think they're both right because there is only one faith. Jude 3 says, contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. One faith. We need to have faith in Jesus Christ that he will lead us to the hope that he promises. That's our response. So whether it's the faith or your faith, faith in God is the bottom line. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. There is only one baptism into the body. Romans 6.4, we're buried with Christ in baptism. To rise, to walk in newness of life. And this is the new life that we're now talking about in the last three chapters of Ephesians. We were dead in our sins, but now we are alive in Christ. Let's walk determined to be the people that God wants us to be in this present time. One baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. If that's not the perfect picture of unity in the spirit, I don't know what it is. What is? The one everything. So then Paul goes on and says, but to each one of us, Grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, he said, when he ascended on high, he led captive, captive and captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens and that he might fulfill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles and some prophets and evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the working of the ministry, the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. God doesn't expect anything that he doesn't help us to achieve. God has given us the things that help us to maintain the unity of the spirit. 
He's given us gifts. If God didn't want us to be unified according to his plan, he wouldn't have put it in there. If God didn't want the church to be united with one goal, he wouldn't have put special people in special places to accomplish that goal. But he says, Christ gave gifts to the church. But first of all, he says, Christ took captivity captive. What did he take captive? All of those things that were against each one of us. Those things that held us, fear, sin, death, separation from God. Christ took all of those things captive, then left us with gifts to help us to walk in unity. And what were those gifts? Men with special abilities. First of all, he says he's given each one of us gifts. We have abilities to do certain things. I can't do some of the things that Martin can do or Steve or Isaac, but I can do things probably that they can't do. But we all have something that we can do to serve God in the body because he's given us those abilities, but he's given special gifts to the family. Apostles. We know what the apostles did. They laid the foundation in the beginning of the church because they were authorised by Jesus to go and do that. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature with his authority. Baptising in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You see the unity once again in the Godhead. The apostles laid the foundations. Prophets were given special understanding and message to go out into the world and to, to teach to the world. But we also know that when it's a bit like scaffolding on a building, when a building's complete, you don't need the scaffolding there forever. You take that out of the way so that the beauty of the building can be seen. The scaffolding was the apostles and the prophets in the first century who had miraculous gifts to be able to do things to convince people that this is the work of God in the establishment of the church. These things God put there for a purpose, but we don't need the scaffolding any longer. I mean, Johan and Lara, they built a beautiful house just up around the corner here a few years ago. And I'm sure that there was a lot of scaffolding around that house. I didn't see the scaffolding, but I know one thing, it's not there now. But you see the beauty of the house? You see the evidence of where people needed the scaffolding? But now the scaffolding's gone because the real building is there. The church has been established. We don't need the scaffolding, but we do need some of those other gifts. Teachers, elders, evangelists. We had the Pauls and the Peters and the Timothys and the Barnabases. We had those evangelists in the first century, but we still need evangelists that go with the gospel into all the world. And we have pastors and teachers, elders, teachers, sharing the news of what 
it means to be God's children and how we need to live as God's children today. These people are here to help us maintain the unity of the spirit. Not to form some new organisation, start some new religion, come up with new ideas that we, all, we want to impress upon people to, to make them feel good, but simply to continue to build on the foundation that the apostles and prophets laid at the beginning. And what's the purpose of all of this? Well, let's go to the last couple of verses. Verses 15 and 16. Well, verses 13 and following. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to the perfect person, man. What's he talking about? Maturity. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together by whatever joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So what's the end goal that Paul's talking about here? The foundation's been laid. We've been called to be Christ-like. God gave people special roles to help that come about so that you and I will reach maturity, that we will be able to detect truth and error, false teaching and truthful teaching, false action and true action. These things were the, are the purpose of the elders and the teachers in the church family so that you and I won't be, what did Paul say, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And haven't we all seen it over the years, waves of new ideas being brought in new teaching, deviating from the word, persuading people to come away from the truth, starting up new groups, teaching new and different things. And what has happened? What's happened to the unity of the spirit? It's gone by the wayside. That's not important anymore. But as long as you feel good, as long as you've got a fuzzy feeling in your heart because of the activities, it must be all right. God would accept that. Well, who am I to say what God will accept? Who are you to say what God will accept? The purpose is so that we will all grow to maturity 
and we will be strong and we won't be waived or persuaded by false teaching, by error that is going to lead us away from Christ. You and I, each one of us, we can't say, well, I don't have the talents of Johan, so I can't do anything. Johan can do lots of things that I wouldn't even know where to begin with. God's given him that talent that he can do it, but he can help. And Isaac, who can sing like Isaac and song lead like Isaac? I mean, he's, he's got a memory like a computer. He's fantastic. I've got a memory like a sieve. I can't remember what I did five minutes ago. But we're all different. And that's exactly what it says here. We're all different. We've all been given gifts according to the measure that Christ has handed out to us. But we all have responsibility to use whatever we have to supply to the whole body. Every joint supplying to the body so that we all reach maturity in Christ. In a world of anti-Christian bias, we need all the maturity, grace, gentleness, patience, forgiveness and love we can get. And every opportunity we have to build on what we've got, we need to take it. As the Hebrew writer says, keep your eyes on Jesus, not on the world, not on our careers and our dreams and our objectives that are down the way there that we just work all of our life to accomplish and, and many times you'll hear of people that have they've worked to their retirement point and they've got everything in place and then they die. We need to focus on Jesus and let these other things fit into our focus on Jesus. We need to seek every opportunity to strengthen our faith. As Paul says in Colossians 3.2, set your affections on things above, not on the things of the earth. Jesus said, life is not about the possessions that we have or the things that we possess. That's what, not what life is about. Life is about us, the church community the church family and how we can help each other on our journey to that one hope that Paul talks about. That's what we should be about, that goal. We need to look up to God. We need to look within the family and we need to look out in the community and seek to fulfil our purpose in Jesus Christ.